Positivity. By definition, it's the practice of being or tendency to be positive or optimistic in attitude. But for today's guest, the word is so much more than something which has become commonplace in the English language. Positivity is a mantra. It's a way of life from which one can achieve well-being and happiness and pass it on to others. John Novak is an author, motivational speaker, academic with three degrees in politics, law and health counselling, a mindset expert and coach, and media personality. He's also a third degree black belt Dan, and once beat Swedish actor Dolph Lundgren in a spa, who is most known for playing Ivan Drago opposite Sylvester Stallone in Rocky IV. John has made it his life work to spread the word of the boomerang effect, a company and philosophy that he started with his wife Teresa. John has been involved with some of the most well-known athletes in Australia that have achieved at national and international events, Olympics and Commonwealth Games, including James Magnuson, David Warner, Melissa Wu, and being the mindset coach for the successful Seagulls and Bulldogs sides in the NRL that both won premierships and made grand finals. Furthermore, he has taken his philosophies and assisted larger business organisations to achieve success and has been involved in the education sector, guiding school students through the challenges they face. In John's own words, what you put out is what you will get back. And in each day, there are 1,440 minutes, so therefore 1,440 opportunities to make a positive impact. You're listening to Normless, a podcast hosted by Hayden Kelly and Jack Hasler. John, thank you very much for joining us. Um, we've been very much looking forward to this episode. It's going to be very interesting for all that you have to say. Uh, you know, first of all, we've asked our previous guests how the current climate with, you know, with COVID-19 has affected their respective careers and their livelihoods. Um, so we thought it would only be right to ask you as well. So how, how have you been? Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, it's nice to be here. It's uh, such a pleasure and an honour to be talking about stuff that might be relevant to your listeners, but particularly us three. So if no one else listen, it's it's just for us. <laughs> exactly. So how have I been? Uh, yeah, always, always working to do the best I can in whatever the circumstances. That's the elephant in the room, obviously, is being COVID-19. It doesn't look like it's going to be rushing away. I think um, the biggest difference for me, if we just talk, the practical side of it is that all of my work is online. Everything is like this, uh, all of it, Zoom and Google and all the different devices you use. So I'm staying in touch with all my clients and my teams and my groups like this. And it's been nice to be at home with my family because they've been at home most of the time too. So you find a way. And um, part of the whole thing we're going to be talking about is how do you best adapt to any circumstances? Yes. Yeah, exactly right. Um, you know, it's especially for us too as well. Um, I personally have become accustomed to working from home now. It's found a good balance. Mm-hmm. I don't know about um, Hayden, but, you know, it's, it's certainly changed. We've chatted about this before um, with another guest. But it's certainly changed uh, the future of many industries and how, uh, you know, what employers expect of their employees in, in the future with coming yeah. into the office and yeah. et cetera. Um, 
yeah. Yeah, no, I think Jack's spot on there, but I think I've sort of saved a few hours travel time that I can put to better use, you know, whether that be doing my own training to sort of set my set my head for the day or, um, you know, mm. as you said, being with your family, my mum and auntie and that sort of thing and being around Jack and some of my mates has been good. You know, you've got that, that extra few hours in the day to use however you wish and then, you know, I find I haven't been um, too off track at home. I've been able to stay on task and get everything done, if not be more efficient with my work. So it's been good. I think um, adding to what you guys have both said just then, I, I think people, there's a lot of trust that employers now have to give their employees and start realising the job is the job wherever we are. You can't look over people's shoulders, which is, Feeling the result of that can be feeling entrusted, mm. feeling entrusted. We're forced to feel entrusted uh, and to trust. I think that's the great side of it. And in, in addition to what you said, Hayden, the, I've got more time. More time for some people is not necessarily beneficial mm. in the respect that they're not ordered and they're not structured. They don't know what to do more of. And most, most people who are unstructured go to phones and spend a lot of time on that and then go out and just check out how everyone is. And when they're checking how everyone is, they forget about number one, and that is look after yourself. And Hayden, you said train. And that's a great way to you know, set yourself up for a day. Um, we, we, actually, I'll just have one more point yeah. about whether you say COVID or you say adversity, it's the same thing for me. Yep. For me is what's the best you could do in any circumstance. And as I've said to dozens and dozens of my clients, it's when it gets really, really, really tough in, in life, and that's the whole mindset game, and that's what we'll be talking about a lot today in this podcast, it's about game on. It's game on now. And when someone goes, game on, they look around and they go, what does a game on mean? <laughs> game on means that you do the best you can in these circumstances. You start rolling in a way that there's adversity, you're in a corner, what do you do? What do you do? And this is what's so perfect in a sort of dystopia way of what perfect means to be able to actually attack something that's challenging. Yep. And it's not, you know, how you just said there, Jack, it's, um, you know, it goes one or two ways. It goes actually, if all of us are all different, it goes in multitude of ways. People actually, you know, pooping themselves yep. in these circumstances. Businesses and lives are, in some cases, forever changed. Mm. The actually the range of what's happening is so in your face, and the gravity of the situation is so great that anxiety. There's the World Health Organization about seven eight years that said that by 2020, no idea that this was going to happen, but 2020 that the number one challenge of the Western world would be anxiety. Mm. Mission accomplished. And there's. I guess there's a difference between a lot of us in like who in terms of who's been impacted most and who's been least affected but I think yes. I do think in general you know everyone it's sort of given us an opportunity to find the bad and then you, you learn to experience the good you know what I mean so if you yeah. you have the bad situations in your life or the bad experiences and that sort of allows you to appreciate you know those good those good opportunities or the days where yeah. you you know things are good. I think having that balance is, you know, yeah. understanding that is, is important. 
and I think that that comes down to, again, if you substitute COVID-19 with adversity, challenges and obstacles, that it just forces us to go, what are my systems? What are yeah. my structures? What are my strategies? What are the ways that I will deal with things that are tough? And when this one goes, it'll be something else tough. And it, it, it recurs. Yeah. That's why this just gives us an opportunity. When something is so great to challenge, yes, you need to start finding little ways to get yourself out of the, the norm. Oh, yeah, I get up in the morning and I do this and I get this. No, no, you're going to do things vastly differently. And actually, you're going to be at home. So lots of my clients are at home, leading big businesses at home and having a team that's just fluent and they're trying to get them together on one screen. And you've got, you know, 15 to 20 people all there. Some got their screens off, some doing stuff that you have no idea about. The alignment, all of that stuff now needs to be rethought. And this is where the creativity needs to be added to just the the same old normal normal standard operating procedures. I, I get excited about that because it's all it's all about looking. You both of you have already started from a very optimistic point of view, and you know, looking for the opportunity in it. it. Yeah. If you don't look for the opportunity, you definitely will be calling yourself a realist, and a realist is always tending towards a little bit of pessimism, which gathers momentum. Yeah. Yeah, and for those who aren't watching this episode on YouTube. John just pointed to his positive 24-7 hat, <laughs> which I love. So <laughs> we'll come back yeah, to that. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Yeah, definitely. We'll um, come back to it. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm just no, no. just rambling about <laughs> no, lots of different no, things. But it but it's, you know, it's the elephant in the room. It's ma- massive. Yeah. It's a massive issue and we can go in and out of it, but it's just a it's it, it's a challenge. Yeah, and it's I an think this, this year's definitely been a big challenge with the bushfires and things. And I think yep, bushfires, yeah, floods, so it's just bushfires, much out of the out of the ordinary sort of year, you know. And I think that's the big thing, just standing up and trying to trying to you know make make something worth something worthwhile out of a tough circumstance. And I think also yep. um, on that point, not just with you know, the general public as well, but it's certainly been an interesting year um, to see the caliber of certain politicians and how they handle yeah. crises. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, before we get into what you're known for and what you've become very successful at in your career, not many people know this about what you've done is you along a while ago were um, in the political world. You worked yeah. in that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's well, when you say political world, I had an aspiration yeah. to get into the political world because of a tumultuous background of um, family fleeing from a former communist country in uh, Yugoslavia and coming to this country and, and seeking out freedom. And I, funny that I, I, I reflected on some of the questions you, you were wanting to address or some of the issues. And I was thinking that as a little kid, I was demonstrating at the Yugoslav embassy um, uh, freedom for Croatia, freedom for Croatia. You know, it's a free state and it's free as, as a nation state now, but that's only been since 19, 1989. And so they were, they were under the rule of communism and oppressed. They left and this whole political vibe thing is my whole upbringing. And so I, I actually found that quite difficult as a kid walking around streets with these placards and then we'd always get to a park and we'd burn a flag, and I didn't know what the hell they were doing. I just was part of this thing. But suppression and equality 
and um, racial slurs and being called wog boy and salami sandwiches and all that stuff I was just brought up with. And I didn't necessarily want to fight for the cause overseas. I thought I like this term justice and it was inherent in my being from an early age. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to go to university, why don't I go have a go at the top job? And uh, three degrees later, got involved in, in local politics on both sides, young liberals, young labor. And that was just a very, very um, grounding experience of Machiavellianism that um, it wasn't about people. It was more about um, people getting into power and the ends justified their, uh, the ends justified the means. And it didn't for me. So that was a, a period where I spent, I spent ac academically three academic degrees in pursuance of it and offers to go to Oxford University and Yale University and said no to all that, tried it out politics and found uh, this stinks. I don't want to have blood on my hands and start talking about right and goodness. Does that give you a little insight of it? It does. Yeah. That's perfect. You know, we, I had known about um, your experiences um, overseas um, and I can only imagine what that would have been like. Um, you know, has your experiences back then, has it I'm sure it's taught you some things and it's shaped you in some way to who you are today from those experiences. Cause you know, it's, you know, a lot of people say that um, tough experiences, they, they make you stronger. They build a, a, yeah. a, a solid uh, exterior around you. You yeah. know, what, what's some of the, the key things you have still bring to your work today? Well, I suppose um, it depends which experience was we're talking about. Uh, if, if I'm just talking about at 21 doing my master's at George Washington University and living three blocks away from the White House and every night being lonely as a little kid, they left a partner back here and um, every night being lonely and studying all day in a degree where I was on probation to start with, I had to, I had to get the marks to stay in the course for the first six months and then and just walking around the White House uh, when I say every night, some of those nights were freezing because we're in the capital and over a two year period, uh, it, it actually is freezing at Christmas time. We're talking minus forties and the rest of it. It shaped me to that part of it was phenomenal because some of my lecturers were four star generals um, because at that time it was um, MAD mad. It was mutual assured destruction. We had the Soviets uh, pointing their rockets at, at, our side and our side pointing their rockets. And I knew if they launched even half the arsenal, arsenal because I was studying um, strategic studies, US strategic studies, that you would uh, wipe the world out 13 times. So I, I kind of knew that we we're on the precipice of what was going on in the 80s. And I was in the middle of it. And I, I was also, some of my lecturers were advisors. All of the lecturers I was with were advisors in some way to the active government of Ronald Reagan at that time. So Star Wars was happening at that time, the battle, the, the battle outside of, you know, this, this, the world as we know it, in the skies, and that's still something that's being talked about. How it shaped me, it made me understand there's a lot I didn't understand, and now I'm being thrust into a world of Middle Eastern politics which could, which could trigger the world. Um, mutual short destruction of strategic studies at any second if the wrong thing's done. If we had Cuba all over again, the Battle of Cuba, that um, we, uh, 
the end of the, the end of the world was near. A lot more devastating than it is now, even though COVID is massive. I just felt it felt real. When you heard a helicopter, you knew that the president was landing because you're three blocks away. When you when you go into your professor, one your the senior lecturer in Middle Eastern Studies, and the door's half ajar, and you go in there, and he goes, not now, not now, John, because he's actually consulting with a politician in the Middle East who will then go back and share his wisdom. It, it reality-based me to the possibilities of what can happen at any moment in, in one's existence. So does that give you a little insight to... That's one, that's one overseas, but my PhD is another thing. I yep. did seven years of a PhD. Yeah. So that was another yeah. harrowing experience of seeing Definitely. the end of a war and um, interviewing multiple people that had lo lost lots and lots of friends. That was a different uh, heartfelt feeling than, than what I just explained just then. And when you said you, know, you studied and you had aspirations politically um, yep. and then you decided against it yeah was your direct move from there going into where you are now or is there uh an in-between part in your career well there was in between bits and pieces yeah. because um i thought i needed a when i came back from my master's i was being offered two degrees one at oxford and one at, as i said to you at yale and i wanted to stay at home because i missed my family i missed my partner so i thought most politician of that ilk were um, had law, so I applied to Sydney University, and because my marks were so good, I went for a pro probation to a three point eight five GPA. So I was one of the best students and topped the class in many things that I did. And I'm, I'm honoured, and I I created the person I am academically through the challenge that I went through. So there was that going on. Then there's the law school going on. I think, oh, yeah, I could be a barrister for a bit. That could be something. A lot of my friends are barristers now. I could do that in between and then move over and I had all these kinds of things. But then the new thing that popped up in the block in 1986 was because I was paying my way doing fitness classes, it was the, the happy Johnny side of me that um, was having fun and keeping fit. And, and I know, hey, you, you like to keep fit. So I kept fit by doing fitness classes. So I... Um, was distinguishing myself in the fitness world from 1980 at 18. And that was like my sidekick. That was my Clayton's job. And then 1986, I got a job on television and for four years was on this television show called Oz Aerobics. So these parallel universes occurring at the same time. So I'm on television doing it. Woo, yeah, <laughs> woo, yeah. I'm doing this thing, yeah. This crazy dude and I, I had no script. So I got no script. And I just love it because I love ad-libbing and, and I was given freedom to just do what I needed to do. And then we went national in 19, uh, 1990 and um, I was um, doing class every morning at six o'clock in the morning. I was this dude jumping around with cute girls and I was like, what's that guy, guy doing out there? And I'd meet people on the streets and going, you, you know, you look so much bigger on television. I said, oh, television does that. And he goes, what are you doing that for? I mean, really, you must be. And I go, Hey, I'm in heaven. I've got women all around me, dude. <laughs> They're going, oh, of course. But it's a chatty guy must be gay. So <laughs> I had this thing and then I got a, another opportunity in 1991 to go full-time on television at Good Morning Australia. So 
the nineties, I had a lot of television work as, as a segue thinking how many people in television can have three degrees, dude, I'm set. Yep. Yeah. And that kind of did and didn't happen because I got the interest of what was happening in my homeland and um, turned on and ended up doing my PhD in 1993. And I went into it and um, sold half a million videos in Aussie Fit and got an opportunity to do the second run. I was the, I was the co-producer of the whole thing. And my co-producer essentially said, he's going to give me um, less money. He put the money behind it. I set it all up. It's called Aussie Fit. They're all redundant now, but you'll see them somewhere. Have a look at Aussie Fit videos. And he offered me less and we'd sold at that time, a hundred thousand videos. And I said, no, no, I'm going to spend a month in Sarajevo. So the place was burning and I spent a month there. And that was the turning point in my life to, to know what this was really about. And my work was formulated then that I do now through the suffering that I saw in my PhD in a month in, in, in a place where tens of thousands of people were, were killed by sniper fire and bombs from both sides. And that was, a, that was the greatest awakening of my life at that time when I was there in 1996. Yeah, that sounds, you know, yeah, very full on. Um, <laughs> full on, yeah, man. I've been full level, on yeah. my life. Yeah, I can only, yeah, the same before, I can only imagine what that would have been like. Um, and Harrowing. That's, yeah. Real. Yeah. Um, Near death experiences. It yeah. was, um, there's a book in that. I'm sorry to cut you off no. there, Jack, but um, it was a defining time in my life because we had over 150 NGOs there. And I was representing Sydney University. So I'm Sydney University PhD, Humanitarian Intervention in the Balkan War. And I'm sitting there at these meetings going, do you understand that they were having systematic beatings going on in the town right now at these meetings? And, and you would have all the media there, NATO representatives. No one knows any of this stuff. I've journaled all this stuff. So I've been keeping journals, like a, a pile of journals. You wouldn't know, but it's like up to halfway up my ribs of journaling and journaling every component of what happened, who I talked to, how I experienced it. And, and, and as a result of that, where do I want to go? And where do I want to go is kind of shaping of where I am now. It's just helping people and doing it in my own normless way. Do you know, I threw that in, didn't I? Ah. <laughs> Perfectly. Normless, man. Perfectly. I think the thing that comes to mind when, when I speak to you, John, I'm sure Jack's the same, but for me, it's amazing how diverse your background is. So we're just talking yeah. about the political, you know, and your business and all that sort of stuff. But now we're, I think we're going to move on to talking a bit more about yeah. the boomerang effect. And I think you just summed it up there perfectly is that period in your life where you had an awakening and it really, I don't know, putting words in your mouth, but made you, you know, step back and realise what you want to do. Um, is was that experience a direct contributor to the boomerang effect? And like, how did it feed into it? Like, what have you learnt through your, you know, your time at university and your experiences overseas? Yep. And how's that sort of fed into, you know, the, the way you yep. provide your services yep. to your clients today? I think um, depending on my client, one of the the gifts I have and one of my strengths, I believe, in when you're my age, if you don't know what your strengths are, well, you've wasted a few years because I'm, you know, in my late 50s and um, 
smiling like a giggling Gertie who can be eight and nine because my clients are that young. And great communication is being able to talk to. And I got this from my dad. God, God bless him. Um, that great communication means that you can talk to a seven or eight-year-old as well as you can talk to a professor or a doctor. And I have all of those clients and, and, and barristers. And my experiences, the vastness of the experiences that I've been through has enabled me to speak in a way to be understood and to listen and empathise. And I, I feel the shaping alongside the academic shaping was a great interest of mind. And the great interest of mind in the early 90s was also because of martial arts. So the boomerang was, effect was happening from a number of things. It was happening, it was formulating and percolating and, and starting to happen because of loads and loads of great experience academically, loads and loads of experiences um, in, in the various worlds as a well-being expert. I was called a fitness expert for 20 years. Now I'm called a mindset expert for 20 years. So 40 years professionally, I've been called something and then something, but I really feel that the formulation of it could come from probably one of the greatest influences was Plato's work in the Republic because political philosophy is so important in, in all the things that I was learning and able body and able mind, a great leader is someone who really does look after his or her, her body. A great leader is someone who is, you know, really, really got their feet on the ground to what everyone is experiencing. People can reflect and relate and feel that that is a good mirror of themselves in composure when they have something real. I feel I learned that through studying all these great thinkers. And when I got interested in the mind because of martial arts and made a comeback in my mind, but in the early 90s, I was reading Martin Seligman's work. I was reading different mind books on Buddhism and I was looking at a whole plethora of things that were blowing my mind out because the coexisting reality for me was martial arts that I'd got to a very, very, very high level but never made a world championship. And thinking I've beaten everyone in this country and I still haven't made So I went back to the drawing board in the early 90s and then made a comeback in the middle of those 90s practising everything that the boomerang effect was about. Everything that I talk about, for five years I practised and won 75% of my events at 33 to 38 against people. The people I was against were the judges. They were going, wow, what are you doing, dude? What I was doing was mastering myself in body, mind, spirit and emotion. So I had a couple of things happening there that, that enabled me to start going, oh, geez, I wish I would have known this. There's no books on this. Because most of the psychobabble on, on sport or on life really is about is, is knowing that it's got, to be, uh, it's got to be quantifiable. But quantifiable in, in mind is it's, you're trying to look at something that's limitless and that's part of the program in a quantifiable way with human lenses that don't actually get what you're looking for. So they don't actually fit. So when you say, oh, if you can't test it and you can't prove it, it isn't, it isn't real, that's crap. Because when you talk about faith, trust and belief, you cannot quantify it. So there's multiple things happening academically, me evolving as a person, finding who I am through the challenges that, are, that occurred, that I saw in Sarajevo and the world and the politics before it. And I feel that my unique selling proposition and why normal is part 
is bringing something that's vastly different of the interest of the world to domestic politics, to people and to self. And when you bring that all down, every person I meet, I'm so excited to meet them because I feel blessed that our paths have crossed. I'm not trying to do a big sale. I'm just going, you come my way, we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere because I'll tell you now, I've got thousands of people over 30 years that have succeeded. If, if you're ready to really take this on serious, I know exactly what to do because of the, the variety of things that have brought me to you and I feel blessed that you've come to me. So that energy creates this, woo, let's do yeah. this. Let's do this. Yeah. That's why I'm honoured to have those jerseys behind me and, and have the people in my resume that would come to me because I feel blessed that they would entrust me to talk to them about their greatness. Yeah, and I think as well, no matter who you meet, everyone's got an interesting story. Oh, that yeah. is different and that, you know, we can, we're, we're always learning. And that's a really exciting part about it. I'm sure you'll say it as well, that we're always learning and discovering new things taking, and improving ourselves at, yeah, in different ways, you know, and um, what's the boomerang effect in a nutshell? Well, there are three pillars, but the nutshell is presenting the best energy possible in every moment. And that's positivity. That's the nutshell. But there's, it's, it's hugely now evolved. It's hugely now interconnected. It's hugely dealing with all the problems of society um, and, 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 and giving you strategies within the program to be able to adapt and adapt and, and being able to react in the right way in sport, world-class reactions. In life, warriors of, of, of the marketplace in, in, and all the different buzz ways of saying it, but really is, what's the best I can do now? What's the best? Right this very second, what's the best? And the best I can do right now is, is sit to attention, say, hey, I'm really enjoying sharing and uh, crack a smile and release the right um, uh, uh, the chemicals in my prefrontal cortex to make this an enriching experience for all of us and anyone who's listening. That's the best I could do. And when you listen, you listen so mindfully and attentively that it let it seep through your essence. Well, that's the best I could do. Yeah, that's what I teach people because when you can really absorb you can grow. If you're not absorbing and you're blocking, this doesn't fit my paradigm, I am in the matrix, I, you are not home. Whereas if you just, if you want to, there's so much Easter to the boomerang effect. It's, it's two broad philosophies, positive psychology and Martin Seligman's work, the work I read before I made my comeback, he's so-called father of positive psychology. Positive psychology has been only around 20 years. Started in 2000. I read his work in the early 90s. Okay. He's worked, but it wasn't coined positive psychology. Now it's volumes and volumes and volumes, millions and millions of volumes, and Buddhism. And the Buddhism is the martial arts thing. The martial arts thing at Boomerang Effect is that we be the water. Why be the water? Because the dude that I've got martial arts, woo, woo, ah, that dude that I love, Bruce, Bruce Lee was when I watched him in Enter the Dragon, I said, I want to be him. So it's, it's, it's just this perfect symbiosis of, of different elements flowing together to come out and say, here it is. 
People look at it very, when they don't know, oh, it's that positivity shit, oh, positivity, positive, that's crap. No, dude, no, 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 no. It's definitely not being that attitude you're projecting now, which ain't positivity, that's cynicism. Yep. And cynicism stinks. Yeah. Do you know why? Because it creates corrosion in our community. Stop it. Because you create a global culture through your cynicism. That's why I didn't want to be an academic. That's why I didn't <laughs> want to be a politician. I want to just run my normless race. Yeah, that's it. And uh, no, no fetters. No, it's just you want to talk to me. Let's talk to me. You want to be in? Let's in. First time I met David Warner, four-hour conversation, four hours of he's just so wildly in, four hours before he engaged me. We spoke. So why is that? Because you connect with people at another level, mm. and that's. The boomerang effect is vibrational something. And that vibrational is through stillness and calmness and this positive psychology and that be your go-to, whatever happened. Definitely evolve, avoid all of the crap, which is like this. It looks slumped shoulders, can't do, can't do, bullshit, 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 bullshit. You can do it. You want to do it. It's just an attitude. And that attitude's in a football game, that attitude's in business, it's in education, and it's here and now. I think that's I get a, excited talking about it. No, it's it's amazing. I love I can like and anyone who's watching this video will see your enthusiasm and your energy. It's amazing. But I'm high. I'm high. I'm great. You can't just blame it's not you can't just blame it on the caffeine though. It's gotta be, you know, it's ingrained in your in your personality who you are. And I think like for me, obviously it's not this simple but for me looking at the boomerang effect it's almost the energy you put out is the energy you receive so if you're in a sporting environment and you you know you you radiate that positive team energy you know you get the team around you um you know everyone feeds off your energy and and we perform as a team we improve we get better yeah um that sort of brings us to the next point which i wanted to talk about was you know, have you run into any hurdles in terms oh, of yeah. bringing this this idea to life and this this boomerang effect, this boomerang theory? Have you faced any hurdles or obstacles in trying to help athletes overcome their, you know, their their performance psychology or you know their mentality? Mm. Mm. I think the biggest hurdle with with anything that you're sharing is. Um, cynicism, uh, an inability to fit into your paradigm, something different, even though it's probably mainstream now. It's been 15 years we've been, my wife and I created this program because she's an occupational therapist. It's been 15 years as a program that we've been out there. So all these other people are out there saying similar things and people get a bit bored. It's like, oh, it sounds a bit cliche. It is what it is. It's a people come in with a mindset of big doubts. Academically, we were taught question everything, question everything, question everything. You question everything and, and it ends up being not just questioning, it ends up being yeah. defending yourself, judging others, putting it down and going more of me in my own echo chamber brain. So it's really nice that positive psychology, but that now we all talk about this thing, growth mindset. So I meet someone who's not interested in learning and that's their thing. If I'm in a team that happens, that will always happen. 
and that happened even when we won the grand final in 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 two, 2011 jason king the captain said when you first started i was a bit like oh yeah he's, he's you know what's this thing that he's doing but he has actually come out and said that now in the role he plays in the nrl as a lawyer he says to me if i'm not that 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 that, that, that's kind of the core requirement in our lives, that if I'm not positive, what's the opposite? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm just a realist. I'm telling you, anyone who's a realist is always bordering on being closer to pessimism and cynicism than being positive. When they're a realist, they're erring towards one side. Whereas what we want to do, and when I work with some of the best coaches in the country, we talk about, in particular, someone we both know, Des Hasler, we talk about wild optimism. Wild optimism. That wild optimism is essentially always hopeful. Oh, don't hope, make it happen. Anyone who says that crap has never been in a situation against superstars. Anyone who says, don't use hope. Hope means a quiet perseverance and trust and faith that things turn out. And guess what? They do. Things do turn out. As long as you're projecting an energy that gives that a possibility. You've got, to, you've got to know that you're part of the co-creation of stuff. I've got to be part of the journey instead of wait for good things to happen or wait for bad things to happen. So people who are stuck in their heads about it happens a certain way means that the scripts and the exposure that they've encountered in their life has stuck so hard that they can't even stick in a, a possibility. But when someone says, when I start with people and I say, are you going to be full time with giving this a go for a while? Suspend all judgment. Go with me. In one week, they will have something called a Zen principle, Satori. One week, when you start looking at everything that you're saying, everything you're thinking, and everything you're physically doing, in one week, you will note a transformation. If you observe everything you do in your words, thoughts, and action, you will see transformation in a week. I, I speak to, I've spoken to hundreds of parents and hundreds of athletes. They go, I can't know, I can't believe the difference. Or the coaches are going, um, a young 14-year-old that I'm working with is, is as good as hitting as good as Monica Sellers, 10% less the coach. And the coach coach Monica Sellers said, You are breaking me down, breaking me down destroying me essentially over and over. What's going on in one week? I've seen phenomenal stories like that just blow my head away. I'm so busy talking to people about their Satori instant alightments and then that I just really don't market anything. We've, now it's, we're starting, finally we've got things to share in books and we'll talk about that later. But I know how powerful this is because I experienced for five years in my comeback. I'm not trying to persuade anyone. If we come together in an alignment, whether they agree or disagree, I don't care. I'm too old to care whether you disagree. You give it a go, I'll guarantee you, because I know my work inside out, that we can go somewhere with your talent and this mindset, we will go somewhere. Yeah. Positive. I'm positive. Has there ever been an instance in a business setting, so it, like corporate maybe world, as opposed to the sporting environment? You talk a lot about where yeah. athletes, whether that be Olympians yeah. or tennis players, rugby, professional rugby league players. Yeah. 
What about from a, a business sense? So have you ever yeah. walked into, this is what I'm interested in, have you ever walked into an organization and sort of reworked the way they think and how has that impacted the way they do yeah. business? Yeah. It depends on the, I've, I've been speaking in business from the late 80s to this second. I'm now parts of businesses now working in mindset where I'm working with bosses I'm working with middle management, working with staff, and I'm working with clients. So it depends who I'm talking. It depends if I'm talking at the grassroots level and the upper echelon and just going, you do your thing, I'm getting out of the room, then it's going to be difficult. I need to have the CEO. I need the CEO to understand the importance and willing to make changes. I've been in settings where they're not willing to make changes. I've been in settings where the principals are at loggerheads with different philosophies. One doesn't give a flying fluke and the other one wants to do everything that we're talking about. So at the upper, at the upper echelon, there's a massive clash of minds and philosophies and willingness to do something. Now I have a half a dozen businesses where they are actually in alignment, but I'm still working with them to get them on point. You got your coaches. It's like getting your coaches with them. Then I'm working with the next level with the leadership group where they're espousing within their key roles and responsibility the same sort of philosophies with their expertise. So it's like in football terms, it's your technical, tactical, and strategic. Then you've got attitude and attitudinal. It's like roles and responsibilities and skills and skills and, and strengths. They're nailing their stuff, then the right attitude. Then how to connect in communication that's re reciprocated, respected, respected, and always with that growth willingness of mindset of going, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, but what about this? It's the right attitude. I've got good businesses now that are like that, but I've had awful businesses because at the top level, there's just no cohesion. So how are you going to share that when the staff, like one accounting firm I worked with, and I did a huge investigation on all the different elements of dissatisfaction and everything, talking to the group, and there was so much dissatisfaction, but the two principals weren't even close. So they ended up, I ended up finding out that they had to, to they went to loggerheads and, and ended up separating on the business and buying each other out. So I, I can't, I've got less control in a business setting of a bigger framework unless but a smaller group, if I've got 15 people, 10 to 15, it's easier. If I've got something like the million dollar businesses I'm working with now, yeah. it depends on who's controlling and how much of a devotee are they to this way. So is there a, is there a way, what I'm also interested in, is there a way, do you, would you address management a lot differently to the way you address maybe employees on a lower level? I guess you've got, you know, those that are delegating tasks yep. and yes. roles yes. as opposed to those that are, yep. you know, maybe starting off in an organization is in terms yes. of their mentality. Yep. Um, do you find you have to, maybe it's more so Tweaking. in relation to the delivery of your messages. Do you find yes. you have to change, like tone it down for certain individuals and vice versa? Yep. Well, I always get a brief. I always ask because I've got that educational background is what's our learning outcomes? What do we want to get at the end of this? Where do you want to see it? So you get as much advice as you can from the key people of an organization. Then they say, 
Um, I, I really, really would like people to be more aware of each other's roles because when they finish what they're doing, it needs to be passed to the next level and the processes and, the, and what's required in the systems, they need to be more understanding. So the level of communication needs to be better. So that's different when we're talking about delegation per se. Mm -hmm. So that's respectful, honest communication that says this is important. Um, this is what you're doing well if you're getting feedback, if you're doing a, a performance review, for example, um, half, halfway. This is what you're doing really well. This is what I'd like to work on with you um, if, if, you, if we can work on this together. And these are some ideas I've got that we can goal set, but I can't wait to hear what you've got to say about this. So really caring, um, appreciative, grateful, but very strategic and systematic, but with, with assertion that we are doing this together. The we is very important. And being in lots of structures like the football structures are being, you can't be in an organisation without talking we, but the we doesn't happen much because they're not in alignment with vision, mission, values and, and professional responsibilities. They don't know that. They don't know how to live it. So you need to communicate, explain it, make it really simple, make it clear terminology, like what is, what's the thing we want to do effectively for us to get better? Nail me, nail us. We don't talk like that. We just don't talk like that in business. So my um, angle is, is really focusing on cultural change through individual excellence and then great awareness of what the different parts are doing to make one thing work better. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Please ask me another yeah. question about that if if I'm I'm just no no yeah no, I'm I hopping think, and skipping. I think also it's from from what you're describing, it's all being on the same wavelength as exactly. a team and an organization, um, because that's the only way you you, know, you move forward and achieve your your goals and you know. Yep in certain industries, your KPIs and et cetera. Um, and but can I just pick that up for a second, what yeah. you just said perfectly? Yep. The problem of everyone being on the wavelength is all of us, we're, we're trying to flow this way forward together. So everyone comes into a flow going, yeah, 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 then what are we going to do that? But you don't know what's happening out there. They're, they're in the work setting for 40 hours, 50 hours. There's 168 hours in a week. They've had years and years and years, two decades of influences for, for their triggers and their attitude and their work ethic. They're in pass mode, but we want excellence. Oh, yeah, in uni, I just got a pass to get the job. I get the job and then I meet these people and I'm looking at, I'm looking at their CVs and they go, I say, how'd you go on your marks? And you guys got a pass. And I went, really? Is that cool? Because we don't want passes here. We want HDs. So you're going, oh, you're on the same wavelength, but some people aren't even close to where you want to be. You want excellence? You want, you want here, top shelf HDs? And they're used to doing passes. Now they've got to lift their game for the buck. It's not about the buck. It's about the purpose and meaning of working synergistically towards a goal. Woo! That's exciting. How do you get that out of a staff? How do you do that? You, yeah, we're all talking nicely, but you don't know what they do every day. So there will be, I guarantee you, there will be a mindset dude like me in every top business, any aspiring business in the not too distant future. If you're not, you're going to miss the boat. You know, we go, oh, isn't that what HR, no, no, HR doesn't do that. HR doesn't go out there. And you give them a couple of things of, you know, doing a little bonding exercise here and there. 
we're getting recruitment right. Is everyone happy? Ooh, everyone happy? It's not about being happy. It's what's the cause? What's the cause? And the delivery of the message in a professional setting, I know you're going to be asking me some questions between the difference, but I need to say straight away, in a professional setting, you are constantly at it with a bunch of coaches. This is what we're doing and this is how we're doing it. Oh, but I know we need to do This is how weekly, weekly, the adversaries out there are like the pumps and the bumps and the obstacles in the business world. How do you deal with that? What's the strategy on a weekly basis? Mm. Anyway. I'll, I'll yeah. get off my high chair. High chair. I think. High chair. <laughs> what you mentioned is there about the importance of doing it weekly. I think people just, especially with the whole positivity thing these days, it's really one of the main things that's ingrained and it's become quite saturated and, and it's gone to the point where people just have the attitude of, they hear oh. the word positivity and they're like, oh, that, that garbage again. Whereas the problem yeah. is that's the real crux of it, you know. The issue is that people have a negative attitude towards the word positivity and yes. they're not willing to yes. bring it in where it's, it is the, the most important thing. Well, don't say it. Don't say positivity, yeah. Jack. Say optimism. Yeah. Seeing the silver lining. I don't care what you call If it's semantics because already it's besmirched, change the freaking thing. Yeah. But have a smile on your face, okay? What's happening in the workplace now? Positivity's been around so long, like we're talking, you know, a decade and a half, that people are going, oh, you're not going to be talking to that again. Why? Why are they saying that? Because all the things that are happening outside of the workplace are impacting on what they bring. What they bring is big weekend, really haven't dealt with that really well, um, dissatisfaction from a hundred different things. They actually haven't compartmentalized that and now it's game on. No one's showing them that we are getting paid for you being at your best. Yeah. And it's definitely not negativity. And if you don't want to say positivity, just say this is a negativity free or bullshit free, as the Swans people said years ago. This is yeah, a dickhead free place. Yeah. This yeah. is a place where we are we are. It's conducive to excellence. Excellence is, I don't care if you don't want to call it positivity, it's a way of being that we optimise and maximise our chances of this business flourishing. So we can pay you. And it's, I think what Jack was saying as well, like what you're saying there, I 100% agree with, but also Jack was sort of saying that it's a bit, the word positivity is overused a bit in that it becomes almost like the boy who cried wolf. Like we always say, you know, positivity you know people just spit it out like it's you know yeah and then after a while it just sort of you become conditioned to it and it's almost like you know what is positivity now but i think you you're a really good sort of image of you know positivity from the from the perspective of sort of enthusiasm energy vibrance and i think that's the way that you know people perfect and and when you say as well if you don't like the word change it to optimism, optimism whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you mean? It's not by, about the word. Yeah, exactly. It's about life. the energy. Yeah. yeah. And, and just in that, though, like, what do you, when you say the word, um, that perpetual optimism is a, is a force multiplier, yeah. what do you Wild mean by optimism. that? Wild optimism. Well, what that means is if you're constantly looking at every situation with upness, up, 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 
you're actually looking at adversity in a way that should be hammering you and you're going, this is making me grow. The best I've worked with in the game, in all sports, are when they face something that's hard, actually turn on. It's a force multiplier. If you keep doing it in the face of adversity on and on and on, suddenly you'll have a breakthrough. Mm. Yeah. In fact, when it becomes darkest or you have three losses, suddenly you'll beat the number one team in the competition with the same team, without the superstars, mm. because you are all like-minded and you're going, that was good, but this has got to be better. It's got to be better. It's got to be better. Then you create a new standard because you kept trusting and believing, without that word, opted, in the face of constant challenges. People are going, oh, oh, down, oh, down, oh, down. It's broken me down. No, no, no. It's giving you an opportunity to rise and rise and rise and rise. And through the rising, you're developing will. And through the will, you're developing a muscle that is a force multiplier to go forward in easy times. Easy times are easy, but when it goes bang, 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 then you go block, 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 hold, hold, block, 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 go. That's what sport teaches you, mm. that you just keep doing you well. Yeah. And that, it becomes the, in adversity, the force multiplying, the force is the contagion of dealing with adversity with that energy. Mm. You call it positive, definitely. If you don't want to call it positive, it's definitely not negative. Yep. And it's definitely not in the middle. It's definitely wild optimism, wild positivity. Mm. You want to change the word positive? Wildly positive. Because at the moment, it's getting so watered down that, like you said, it's like saying, um, uh, like, like, it's like. It's just a, it's just a word that means nothing. Yep. Yep. But for me, when we first started it um, in, in you know, the mid-2000s, it was... In the sport, particularly where we started in golf, it was something that they didn't want to consider. All they said was, all you have to do is in a moment be empty. You tell me. You're, you meet a friend and say, what does empty mean? As long as I'm empty, I can do my job well. How do you do work empty? Unless you understand deep meditation and mindfulness, you will have no idea because we have no idea what emptiness is because our mind is cluttered with 70,000 thoughts a day. Emptiness is an illusion for mainstream culture because all we're doing is filling ourselves with stuff, 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 stuff. Yep. And if you could just focus on be tall, crack a smile and be positive when it's really, really tough and see the, the silver lining, you're going to have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Normless Podcast. If you or anyone you know has an interesting story that you think displays the traits of being normless, please contact us through normlesspodcast at gmail.com. In order to stay up to date with the latest news about the podcast and to never miss when a new episode is being released, please follow us at Normless Podcast across all social media platforms. To find out more about our guests today and how to contact them, please look in the episode description.